but a lot of people just want to watch, you know, it's almost like one small level of removed away from pornography from what I'm seeing on TV. So I, I don't care about titties and boobies in your faces. I really don't. If you want, go get a porn, have a great time. Um, but for me, I really just want to watch fucking really good fucking acting. Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, a melding of the minds, a meeting of the hearts, and a violation of our livers. My name is Jeremy Berger, and each week I chat with a professional creative, have a few drinks, and discuss the issues that they're facing. There's the old stereotype about how you can find an actor at every restaurant in New York City because of the one handing you the check. However, some actors work slightly different beats. Sunita Deshpande, when she's not on 30 Rock, Broad City, or the recurring role of Seema Nadim in Netflix's Daredevil, is also a creative director and copywriter who has worked for some of the top agencies and brands to be found. Check her out. Sunita, first Hello. question. Yes. What are you drinking? I am drinking a delicious Whispering Angel Rosé. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yes, it's delicious, and it's one of my favorite types of rosé. So, Excellent. I'm drinking a Pilsner Urquell, um, kind of a light-bodied uh, German, uh, sorry, sorry, Czech Pilsner. <laughs> I have found that if I am not careful and just keep slugging back high-powered IPAs during this thing, I have found that in the editing process, I can't even understand myself at the end. So we're going to avoid that. Go a little bit more lower alcohol. So. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> I, well, no, I had sidebar. I had a back-to-back -back recording on Sunday, okay. and I've been editing the second one. And about halfway through, I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm shit-faced." Does it I end with you like just saying you don't know me? And then it just Luckily, starts. no. I I know enough to write myself just like a little <laughs> bit of guidelines ahead of time. But there was definitely some like I'm pretty sure I didn't pronounce the T in that word. I'm pretty sure I just let that T slide. Um, so yeah, so sticking to the, I'm we're still drinking, just taking a little bit easier. Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, you're talking to a Gemini. I mean, we just we love to talk. No, that's good. That's good. That's 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 absolutely fine. Uh, I wouldn't be asking you onto an audio platform if you didn't. Um, <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> have you? I know. I I know. Them? I no, not yet. Not yet. Okay. You are my. Let me see here. My fifth. Uh, fifth interviewee. But it's definitely coming. There's going to come that one day where it's going to be like a friend of a friend. Like, I know one of them's going to be like, so, um, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're a director of photography. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, so, there's a casting directing story where the casting director had first met Robert De Niro. She had never met him before. And we, he was very young. And she said it was like pulling teeth trying to talk to Robert De Niro. Mm. But she said there was something so interesting about him. That's why she kept him in the in this um, in the audition. But I I, lo I love that story because he was like you were just saying those one word answers. Yeah, well, he's he's. I feel like when it comes to to Robert De Niro, he's such kind of a deep pool. You're not going to mm -hmm. see a whole lot of ripples on the front. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say, especially in his early work. I mean, what was it? Was it the uh, the Deer Hunter? Or am I getting that wrong? Um, I will have to, I think it's, it was him and the, and there was a raging bull. Raging bull. My Lord. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. Oh God. That was a good one. Yeah. So we've covered what you're drinking. We've covered these, these easy questions. I think the first thing is before we start getting too deep into our cups, could yeah. you please tell everyone who you are, what you're up to and where we can find you? Sure. Hi, I'm Sunita Deshpande. That's 
if you want to pronounce it with the Indian accent, it's Sunita Deshpande, um, which you did really well. Um, the first name means sweet natured, the second last name means landlord. So apparently I'm a sweet natured landlord that probably never collected any money. Um, but yeah, I am a copywriter by trade. I went to Miami Ad School and I also graduated Florida International University Master's Program, um, Integrated Marketing Communications. And then I was a graduate of UF um, uh, with an advertising degree. Did about five internships. One of them was the Hallmark internship where I got to write cards for a summer. That was really fun. And then I did one um, all, all over. I did them through Miami Ad School at Saatchi and Saatchi and a bunch of other really great places. Mm -hmm. Got placed after my fifth at Berlin Cameron. Got to work on some Heineken, Coca-Cola, Belvedere Vodka, New York Life, um, oh, Tidy Cats. I uh, got to have a lot of range of experience there. Um, was there for about six years, started freelancing. And then in the meantime, I also kept up with my improv classes at UCB, interned at UCB, met some really amazing folks that I got to see fly off and do incredible things. Um, two of them, for sure, I would love to mention um, were Aziz Ansari and Donald Glover. Donald Glover actually got me my first part on 30 Rock. He submitted me. And so I owe so much to that guy. Oh, wow. Um, and both of them, you know, looking in, in the past, like looking forward, both of them took the reins in their careers, really. They really did by creating their own work. And um, I know Ansari was on Human Giant. And then I doubt it's on YouTube, but if you can find it, it was so funny. There was this show called Shutterbugs, and it was a show about him and Hubel, Rob Hubel, running a children's casting agency. Like they were asshole casting agents and they were like yelling at two-year-old kids. It's so funny. I think it was on Human Giant actually. So anyway, watching these both of these guys create their own careers um, has been amazing. It's particularly Donald. I mean, the guy like decided to be a Renaissance person and, you know, is incredibly talented, wrote his own music, everything. So I would say to anyone who's listening who's interested in acting or um, write your own stuff, I wish I could go back and slap myself back then and just say, Sneetha, start your own show. Just do it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I freelanced after Berlin Cameron a lot um, and went on to freelance at some places for two years, two, three years at Translation. I was at, um, gosh, I was all over. I was, I was at JW. And Coded Theory, FCB Global. Yeah, <laughs> you're looking at my LinkedIn. So I've been all over. Um, I really, what I love about freelancing is, it, and I've said this before, is it keeps the hustle alive. It keeps a fire lit under your ass to keep being creative. And you get to meet all sorts of different people, different creatives. And if they like you, they'll keep you longer, you know? And that's always a nice feeling too, if you want to stay. It's like dating, right? So it's like you want to find that perfect marriage. Most recently, I was two years uh, at FCB Health, which was health and wellness. So um, yeah, that's that's me. And right now, currently, I'm freelancing with a great place called Huku Iku, and I love working with them. It's on a secret project, but they are fantastic to work with. I love, 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 love them. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah, so it's been pretty good. And in the meantime, while I don't, you know, when I'm freelancing, I, I don't really act. And then when I act. Um, oh yeah. Most recently you might know me from Daredevil season three. Um, I was in eight episodes. Yes. Yes. Playing Seema Nadim. No yes. less. Excellent. Yeah. So here's my question because so much of your uh, CV up at that point was comedy. You know, I like Broadway, you said 30 rock, yes. uh, broad city. Um, how did any, Oh, and sidebar, why not put a plug in for this one? You wrote, um, a sorry for Pallavi, which is also yes. a comedy. 
Yes. So comedy, comedy, comedy. Yes. Uh, then comes Daredevil. So yeah. I'm kind of curious how that came about and what that was like for you to just change gears on that so suddenly. Sure. Um, that's a fantastic and very smart and insightful question. No one's asked me that before. So thank you. Oh, um, I, uh, so the people I really looked up to, right. I had, I had done improv forever. Mm-hmm. I love improv. Improv is my true love. It is my favorite sport in the world. It is a sport. It is a team sport. It is not stand up where it is alone, which mm-hmm. is also, I guess, the sport in a way, but I love improv. It is my love of my life. Um, but I had been doing it for a while. And I really wanted to finally try to have the balls to go be an actor. I went through a really major breakup. I'd been with somebody for eight years. Didn't work out. And, you know, you want to die and you want to kill yourself. I mean, it's really, it's not, you're not in a good place, right? And you are like, well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well fucking try and do something with my life. And if I'm going to find, if I'm going to fail at this, I'll fail at this. So... I looked at all the acting studios uh, in New York City. I found Maggie Flanagan Meisner Studio. I highly recommend it. I researched everybody, but Maggie Flanagan is the real deal. She coaches Sam Rockwell still. Uh, She still coaches a lot of other really fucking impressive people. Um, She is the real deal. I like it when people yell at me. I like it when people tell me I'm not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) because she is really hard on people and it is really good because it makes you really, really better. Um, So I decided to look at the people who really super impressed me and um, the people, two people who popped up to me as actors that super impressed me were John C. Riley and Steve Carell. Both of those guys have so much range and they are so genuinely funny. And, um, but they, God, the drama is so good. It is so good. It's so, like you were saying before, like, right, De Niro, The Deep Well. Yes. I watched Steve Carell, like, over and over again in Little Miss Sunshine. And mm. his little nuances and everything. Then I watched John C. Riley, right? Steve Brule, hilarious. Like, mm-hmm. Tim and Eric, awesome show. Amazing. Hilarious character. And then you're watching other stuff with him, like Cedar Rapids. And, like, I mean, just the guy is, he's so versatile. And then he's on Broadway. And, and I thought to myself, you know, for me, I would want to be the kind of actor who can do the whole range. And so I put myself through Maggie Flanagan. Um, and I'm glad I did. Because, you know, the weirdest thing was it made my comedy so much stronger when I got more serious. If you really notice the best comedians, they, um, like even Will Ferrell will do it they'll get very serious when they're angry (laughs) or when they're having freakouts in movies. And it might be something as stupid as like, I don't know, someone stole their last jelly bean or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's such a high level, legit, intense freakout that it's so much more funnier that way. Um, So yeah, I wanted to just be as good as John C. Rowley and, and Steve Carell. And I just wanted to train myself. And so when I literally went in for the part of SEMA, I hadn't even gone in for the part of SEMA Nadim at all. I was called in for a, what's known as a day player. Yes. And um, so on Daredevil, I was called for day player and they, the casting director really, really loved me. It was a really small part. It was a girl who tells a story. She, they just interview her and they say, when did you see Daredevil? She says, he saved my father. It was the middle of the night. We don't know. He came out of nowhere and he's back. It was a really, but I loved that story so much. And I, so I did my audition. It was just like, I don't know, 30 second little thing. 
And the casting director was like, so good, so fucking good. And she's like, why hasn't your manager sent you in for the recurring role? I think you would be much better for this recurring role. There's supposed to be an Indian FBI agent on the show and he's supposed to have a wife. And it's two to three episodes and um, you should come in for that. Can you speak any Hindi? And I said, no. And apparently as an actor, you're supposed to lie. <clears throat> but I, I'd like to tell the truth. And she said, if you can memorize some Hindi tomorrow, tonight, I'd like to have you come in. And the next day at work, I had a 10 a.m. advertising meeting. Mm -hmm. I said, I can't do any time earlier. I can only do 9 a.m. She said, sure, come on in at 9 a.m. So I came in. I just did my audition. I had my dad teach me the Hindi. And really, at that point, I was in such dire straits job-wise because um, I hadn't booked a freelance gig in a while. And to be frank with you, my bank account was not looking cute. So I was like, I just need to get to work. I was so happy to have a full-time job. Right. And I left that audition and I really didn't even think too, twice about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the casting director looked at me and she's like, I loved that. She was like, I really want you to get this gig. And I didn't even think twice. I just went to work to make my 10 a.m. meeting, right? To, so I could be accountable at work. And then I got it. And the writers liked our work so much that they came up to me on set and they said, we're from Marvel. We love what you're doing. Your work is stunning. And they ended up writing me into eight episodes. So it was a really, um, it was a really wild ride to get that. That's crazy. Do you mind if I ask you about something in that story? Please. Um, Cause I remember I was following you on social media mm -hmm. uh, during the premiere. Uh, good timing on your part, not, not, not releasing too many details before production had been complete. Uh, <laughs> oh, they make you sign NDAs, honey. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's like, a you team do not... <laughs> of lawyers. I couldn't even get a, like a printed out script, Jeremy. I had to get, they send you a script and then like they have this program that disappears. So you like have to memorize your script online and then it just, dis I was like writing it down. Oh my God. But, yeah. They're very, and they were like, you do not tell a single person. You do not tell a single soul. I mean, yeah. They're if, God, if God shows up on your front door tomorrow and asks <laughs> you for the copy of the script, he ain't getting it. He ain't getting it. Okay. Okay. But Sorry, Nish. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you had such a positive experience reinforcing an American Indian role mm -hmm. inside a popular television series. Can you give us a little background about that? Because I'm not sure. I know I don't know too much about it. But mm -hmm. when you said that they asked if you could speak in Hindi, yeah that kind of like like give us give us some background on that so um what i really liked about daredevil and the showrunner eric wilson um what they did with the show and um he had told me like a, a friend had influenced the role actually that he knew that the indian american experience on tv shows is always like that apu type of accent or it's always like you know, the Harvard slash MIT grad who like, you know, is a top notch corporate lawyer, or, you know, top notch, always a doctor. And I am so proud of those roles. And I think those are so great. Um, but what I really liked about Daredevil was they showed an Indian American for a one socioeconomically struggling, which we never really get to see on TV shows. Hmm. Um, two, obviously, um, my husband, Raina Dean, played by Jay Ali, who did such a great job, um, an FBI agent. And, you know, three, and the most important thing to me was they did not ask for those um, Indian American accents. Do you speak? 
different languages at home all the time, all the time. We, my parents come from Karnataka, we speak Kannada. I totally understand what they're saying and I get what they're saying, but you know, we don't speak, I don't speak with an Indian accent. And so, so much of Hollywood, and that's also, if any actors are listening to this too, so much of Hollywood is pigeonholing and stereotyping and particularly for people of color. And then on top of that, if you're a woman of color, um, it's like a double whammy. Mm -hmm. I won't speak for the queer community because I don't identify as queer, but um, I, I, the fact that they really didn't, went out of their way to not stereotype us was really great. It was a really, really fun um, and happy, uh, open-minded and um, refreshing role for me to play. And um, I, I, there was a, there was someone who I did watch a lot of, um, uh, just because my role was so similar, it was about a husband that was, you know, lying uh, to his wife. And so I watched a lot of uh, Breaking Bad. Um, because, you know, that, that was the exact kind of scenario um, between Walter White and, you know, Brian Cranston and Skylar White, his wife played by Anna Gunn. There yes. were so many similarities I felt. And I, you know, I gotta say too, a lot of times, and, and I loved, some people were like, don't ever read Reddit, Sunitha, because it's going to hurt your feelings. And I devoured Reddit. Are you kidding? I loved seeing the message boards, like how they felt about our relationship. I was like, because again, I take that breath. I don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it, you know, a lot of times this is what happens is um, a lot of these a lot of people got heated that the wife was too hard on the husband and breaking that as well. But, um, and, and I got that heat too for my character on the show. You can totally look at the Reddit boards, but what was so great, no thanks. No but thanks. I, I, loved, I loved it. I was like, <laughs> Oh shit, people are talking about me. But, um, you know, it really makes sense though, because it's like, if your husband, I mean, you're married, if a wife catches a husband in one lie and then he promises never to lie again. And then he lies and it involves their son mm -hmm. and their son's safety, like life and death. That wife is not going to be a nice person. <laughs> like She's just not. So, um, yeah, I really watched a lot of Anna Gunn's work because I loved the way she played her character on the show. Fantastic. God, that's the most complete answer I've ever oh, got. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. It makes my job editing so much easier. Um, so, you know, Daredevil was a very positive experience for you. Super positive. Super. That's, that's, that's fantastic to hear because I very rarely hear that about productions. Well, uh, especially is, genre work, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you know, they say um, being a co-star on a show or a guest star, it's almost like <laughs> somebody had warned me, they're like, it's like you're getting dropped into a war zone. And they're like, the enemy's over here. This isn't working. We tried that. We're going this way now. Go. Like, if you're not a series regular and you're like, okay, you're like, you just parachuted in and you have to go along with it. And that's where the yes and from comedy really, really helped me. And I'll tell you something else. It, watching the super pros and I'm talking about watching Charlie Cox and talking about watching JLD Ali like watching this people who have been doing this for a lot longer time than me it was like taking a thousand acting classes um it's like any, anybody who on their first day at an internship in ad agency my god do you learn everything everything that summer when you intern at that ad agency if you're at a decent internship you know yeah. you learn everything um, you learned that one liner, some liner in a commercial isn't working. What do you have to do? You have to change that one liner on the spot. 
Otherwise, you know, that happened with so many of our commercials. It's not working. You better have some other one-liners in your back pocket that are going to make people laugh. You better have them. So, um, you know, being on a set like that, and also let me tell you something, uh, and I joke about this with my boyfriend all the time, you know, these people, they're like these superhero hot Marvel stars. Yes. They are not, <laughs> at, at Crafty, they are not eating the uh, Sour Patch Kids I was. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, Sunita Deshpande had some Sour Patch Kids in her hand. She got, I had some bread, you know. Oh, I was bread, enjoying... bread, how dare you? You had no. carbs on set? I was, I was eating some chocolates, you know. But these people, they like literally watching them was, they were eating broccoli and some boiled egg. And I'm like, and, they're, and meanwhile, they're also just like working out, even if it's an 18 hour day, 19 hour day, they're putting in that time at the gym. So for me to really see that level of hustle, I was like, okay, Sunita, if you want to look like that, you got to, you know, you got to put away the Sour Patch Kids, that's for sure. Um, yeah. After the next one though. Yeah. <laughs> After the next one. It's true. Because goddamn Sour Patch Kids are good. Pandemic isn't helping with my diet, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, you know, you, well, you know, it's, it, it's funny. I've, I've, I, I, I can't get into too much detail about it, but I was on, uh, I was on the horn with a friend of mine who, um, you know, had, uh, had abstained from several things in life. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sitting there having, uh, having a beer, and she just looks at me over the Zoom. She's like, now is not the time to quit drinking, Jeremy. And I'm just it's like, okay, okay. That's coming from you then. I got to believe it. Oh my gosh. So let's, let's talk for a second about, because it's funny. Whenever I'm talking to somebody uh, younger, and you seem to be one of the few people I've talked to who runs at this head on, but when we discuss the importance of failure. Yeah. Um, and almost like, because we couldn't have that conversation if we were doctors. Oh. We couldn't have our <laughs> that conversation if we were structural engineers building bridges for you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people to cross every week, year, et cetera, et cetera. So, I guess my question to you is, where did that come from for you, and what was a learning process for that very particular skill like? Hundred percent. 100% it came from my training at Maggie Flanagan Meisner mm. Studio, um, 100%, because I did not understand anything about acting. I had understood stuff about improv. Mm -hmm. I guess supposedly I understood things instinctually about acting. Once in a while, Ma Maggie in our summer course might say to me, like, that shows promise, you have promise there. And I was like, thank God. But my summer course with her was really grueling. I was in it with people who had acted before. Mm -hmm. I had never acted before, um, but I knew I just wanted to get strong at it. And that summer course, you, I think you're in there every single day and it's like, I don't know, eight hour days. It's, it's a very long day. Mm -hmm. And it's physically grueling. That's another thing I didn't realize when I got into acting, how physically grueling it is if you're on stage eight nights a week, you know, eight times a week. Your body is, it, they, they compare it to, you know, the best actors 
like Mark Rylance, who I saw in Jerusalem, who just knocked my socks and blew me away. And I think he's probably the best actor in the world right now. Mm-hmm. It was literally like watching an Olympic <clears throat> athlete. Watching Mark Rylance was watching an Olympic athlete in Jerusalem. I don't know how that man did that eight times a week, that level of performance, that stamina, that you know physical level. And so every night when I would come home from our summer intensive program, which is a great way to see if you wanna do this as an actor, I recommend it to anyone who wants to try it, mm-hmm. I was devastated with my work. I was so, oh, classic Sunita again, very hard on myself. Mm-hmm. I was coming from a place that wasn't a copywriter. I was coming from a place, you know, us copywriters, we love to think. We really do. We love to overthink things. We like to go back and change to comma, to a, I don't know, a dash, and then come back and change it again and sleep on it. I mean, one to a colon. You know what? No one uses semicolons enough. Wouldn't that be a little smug? Let's have some fun. Like, calm down, right? And so I had never come from a place of how does my, this is going to sound hippy-dippy, but who cares? How do my knees feel in this scene? If you're in a scene where you're talking to your crush, your knees as an actor are going to feel a little weak. Something is going to happen to you. Maybe you will feel the butterflies. You're tricking your nervous system into believing something is real. And so that summer intensive was very difficult for me because I could not get out of my head. I was trapped in my head and for so many years working at ad agencies where yes we're notorious boys clubs you don't cry in front of your boss i never once cried in front of my boss i never once lost my shit i never once showed my feminine emotional outbursts i saw the consequences that would happen to the other females that did and i told myself you just can't cry here it's not acceptable it's not seen as acceptable in the corporate world people are going to judge you so i never did so holding that in all the years was building up in me and I wasn't able to unlock the gates. I wasn't able to release them. And it took me a year, a year of training to finally allow myself um, to come from my heart and actually open up and cry. I hadn't cried in years. Um, and after that, like I had told you, the eight year breakup, you need to cry, you know? So oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I sat around and I've been so much denial, you know, like some people did, they're like, I'm great. No, everything's great. Like, I'm great. I'm great. I've got, I'm like, I'm great. Like you're like, this are you fine? This is all fine. <laughs> yeah. Everything's fine. This you're like, fine. your shoulders are up to your ears right now. Like, are you really okay? <laughs> um, but you know, and that, and I also want to say for people, it is wonderful therapy acting. You learn so much about yourself. It was life-changing that two-year process there. But really after failing and getting up, and there were days I did not want to come back to school. I felt like such an idiot. I felt like such a loser. I felt like people were so much ahead of me. I would go to bed like beating myself up, but I forced myself to keep coming back. And then like, as anyone will tell you, eventually one day you slowly have a breakthrough. You have some kind of little thing, even an improv, that you go, fuck, okay okay, I got that taste of honey. I was really in that moment in that scene. Fuck, what happened? How did I? And you showed, even if it was a second, you know, like it's a meditation too. Yes. Even if there's that second where you're not thinking and then you're like, I'm not thinking. And you're like, fuck, I'm thinking. But at least you had that minute, a second of space. You know, you're on the right track, right? So it brings you back to that taste of that honey, um, that nectar, that sweetness to go, 
I can do this for longer. I can, and then eventually you start to get, and so much of it is just letting go and knowing you're enough. But failure really is the best teacher. It's just that people don't want to have to face the pain of failure, right? So yeah, it was definitely going through Maggie Flanagan and how tough they are on you because they don't produce shit actors. They don't want people who are just like pretty little celebrities. We have enough of those. We have enough influencers, you know? Our world, especially American actors, the state state of American acting is horrifying it's like talking models and that's why for me i don't want to watch talking models i want to watch people actually going through real fucking human experience i want to watch francis mcdormand you know i want to watch john c Riley. i want to watch people i want to watch i mean i want to watch fucking michael shannon jesus christ like Mm. i get chills when i talk about these motherfuckers so like i want to watch that shit but a lot of people just want to watch, you know, it's almost like one small level of removed away from pornography from what I'm seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. So I don't care about titties and boobies in your faces. I really don't. If you want, go get a porn, have a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I really just want to watch fucking really good fucking acting. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Hope that so, answered your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, 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 you answered several. I hadn't even thought to ask. No. So just, just give me a, a, a real quick, just a dateline here. Uh, when did you go to Maggie, Flan- uh, Maggie Flanagan? So Maggie Flanagan. So the breakup happened in 2009 and then, yeah, that was the same 2000 and maybe 10 or 11. I saved up the money and they're sweethearts over there. They want you to do the classes, so they'll find a way to work with you. So if you feel like money's an issue, don't worry about it. They will find a payment program for you. You'll be fine. Awesome. Um, and that was too. And so then I graduated around like 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Yeah. And not even a decade later, you go, you're like, I'm just taking <laughs> a look at this. Not even a decade later, you're showing, well, actually, even 30 rock like happened right before that didn't it yes and actually that's why donald again is the you know i sent you know you're not supposed to send wine in the mail um but mm-hmm. i did anyway because donald was <laughs> he called me he he recoed me mm-hmm. and that day on set i had never called in sick to work ever before and he mm-hmm. and my email wasn't working so you remember linksys you remember that? Wow. When okay. It, so yeah. my, my, I couldn't afford Wi-Fi for my home. So that day, somehow my Linksys came through. And because Donald and I used to intern at UCB together, they, he, he recoed me and he wrote me this email. And somehow it came through on that Sunday. And it said, hey, Sunita, we have a part on 30 Rock with, that needs an Indian girl. You know, and it was like, he explained it to me. And he's like, how's your day looking for this? And then he's like, it would be in a scene with Tina Fey. Is that okay? And I'm like, uh, fuck yes. Yeah. Um, so he was writing for the show. And so um, uh, I, I called in sick that day uh, to, to work. And I, again, I'd never done that before because, you know, classic hardworking Indian person. So I uh, showed up on set and I was sitting on that chair and it was like heaven was lit up. I mean, I was like, this is exact that director's chair. I was sitting on set. And I was like, this is exactly what I've wanted my whole life. Like my parents had tried to nicely warn me when I was little that I wanted to be actor. They were like, you know, it's not going to be that great. It's a hard life. It's, it's, it's hard to make it. You know, they were right. They were right. They were very right. Um, but they were like, you know, it's not that great of a, 
and I'm sitting on that chair and I was like, I'm in a scene with Tina Fey. I'm on 30 Rock, one of the greatest shows right now. And uh, this is it. I was like this, it was like a light was shining from heaven. It was like, see kid, you really want this. So that, that whole experience that day was definitely, and the funny part was I had thought that it was going to end up on the editing room floor. I didn't think that scene was going to make it in. So I didn't tell anybody. Um, because classic actors usually will tell people the whole world something's going to air and then it doesn't air and then you look like a fool. So I was just like, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. My parents go to bed very early. Uh, they go to bed, you know, classic parent time, but, you know, 9, 30, 10. So my mom okay, comes hey out. N- not all old people. <laughs> so Some of my- us are just naturally morning people. I'm just... <laughs> Well, my mom had somehow turned on the TV at that exact time and she looked at the TV and she went, that girl looks like Sunita. And then her phone started ringing and her parents were, my parents' friends were like, oh my God, we just saw your daughter on TV. So that's when she knew it was me for sure. Um, But yeah, it was one of those like silly stories where she just happened to flip on the TV right as I was on it. Did they call you that night when they saw you? I think my mom and dad were just like so surprised. They didn't really think it was me. And then I think they didn't, their parents, maybe they did. I don't remember, but I know my mom doubted herself. She's like, there's no way that was my daughter. And then her friends started calling her like later. So I think they did call me that night. Like, were you just on TV? Yeah. I didn't tell a soul that I was on it. Oh my God. Okay, great. Well, let me ask you, um, because it seemed like obviously Maggie Flanagan was a very huge influence on obviously uh, the craft of acting. Uh, And I'm wondering how that experience bled through into your copywriting and creative direction work. Sure. Um, So improv and acting and copywriting really do go hand in hand. Um, And this is what I've always explained during interviews and because people do kind of look at actors, unfortunately, and I understand this, a lot of actors are flaky. A lot of actors don't know what they're doing. A lot of actors are dreamers and don't have like, really for actors, if you want to be really smart about it, you got to treat it like an MBA program and you have to work with a certain set and crew. If you look at, you know, Julia Roberts and all of those cats, they love to work together, right? Like Clooney, Julia Roberts, they always find projects, hire their friends, and then finish the project, kick its ass, and then move on to the next project where they get to work again because they trust each other and they clearly like each other. That's a smart business plan. That's what you need to do as an actor is to find that crew. And if you do, you guys are all going to rise up together. Um, And those successes are going to create even more successes. But yes, Maggie Flanagan had a huge impact on me because again, like we said, acting and writing and creating, I mean, like, right, the concept of to act is to make someone, is to do something. And people will act when there is emotion. They will act in the sense of, I mean, if humor will move people to buy products, um, uh, uh, emotional, like, uh, you know, they're, oh my gosh, Hallmark, when I was there, they showed us all the commercials they had written um, about the Hallmark cards and how nothing replaces getting a card in the mail. No e-card will ever replace getting a card in the mail. And they showed um, commercials they had done and those were very tender and very emotional and sweet. Those people buy cards. There is nothing like selling with emotion. They both go hand in hand. And again, like even now as a freelancer, when I go into agencies um, it, all over, I will see creatives with fan fantastic ideas. I mean, really brilliant ideas. They got that marker comp, they're going to present it, and then the hands start shaking. The hands start shaking, they start to get nervous, they start to look down at the ground, 
they start to shift from foot to foot, you know what? No, plant your feet, mm -hmm. look straight up, take that breath, believe in yourself, look at everyone in the eye and sell them on that fucking thing because this is millions and millions of dollars at stake. And if you cannot do that, you're not going to sell. Mm. So to me, these things go hand in hand, coming from the point of view of another character. Someone, what if you grew up very rich and you have to write to someone who's trying to buy a Dodge, you know, yeah. who's trying to scrape his money together, busts his ass at a blue collar job. Here you are at a white collar job. You've got to be able to put yourself in that character's point of view. You've got to. Otherwise, you're not going to sell to them. You have to put yourself in that demographic, that psychographic. Otherwise, you are not going to connect with them on an authentic level. And there's that word again, authentic. But people can smell bullshit. People are not stupid. And I know people try to make fun of the flyover states and say how stupid people are there. People deep down want to be heard. And they want to be spoken to. And they want to be listened to. And if you can do that, both as an actor and as an advertising creative, you're going to connect and people are going to resonate with you and they're going to like you. So that's my answer. Sold. <laughs> sold. Absolutely sold. Okay. Um, God, you're, you're a pro. Um, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm just speaking from the heart, Jeremy. Cause I just, again, like, you know, these days too, we we were talking about this earlier, but Social media, man, I don't know what has happened with the world, but people are looking down at the floor and I don't handle that well. I don't handle that well. I know we all have anxiety issues. I know we're all on how many medications, but at the end of the day, you got to plant your feet and you got you to work on that part of yourself. If you don't have that down, you got to work on it because so many fake, fake accounts and fake robots are following people on Instagram. I mean, it's so fake. And our world is becoming so much faker by the minute. I'm sick of it, you know? So, um, yeah, for me, I'm just like on a quest for authenticity everywhere. Quest for authenticity. <laughs> I love that. No pressure. No, no, not none whatsoever. I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but because, um, you know, we met via Betsy Hoffman. Yes. Uh, God, I haven't, I haven't talked to her in a while. Gotta, I got to give her a ring, uh, make sure she's okay. Um. And at that time, I was, you know, involved in uh, commercial production and, and a little bit of documentary production. On the side, I would do like comedy sketches with Betsy and um, did a couple of short narrative stuff. And I, I found myself in this weird position um, where I I enjoyed the process of creating these things, these, mm -hmm. these stories, and I enjoyed obviously my time working with everybody to bring that to a fruition. But then I actually looked at it and I said, I don't believe any of it. Mm -hmm. Possibly because I wrote it. Um, so then I transitioned almost entirely into documentary. Mm -hmm. And I've been uh, having an incredible time since. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, I understand absolutely the need for authenticity in every single aspect, mm -hmm. both of a professional and a um personal creative endeavor uh -huh. so that's me just saying i get where you're coming from <laughs> i get where you're coming from talk to me about one other thing that i think we only sure. kind of briefly touched upon um but uh you know the ad agency world is a like you said a huge boys club 
Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a huge, um, somewhat pale boys club. Yes. Uh, how has been your experience has been working in that? Horrible. It's been horrible. I mean, it's really, really awful and terrifying and scary. And um, actually, I'm glad you brought it up because I might take your advice on some stuff because I've been thinking for a while now of starting a podcast of all the stories coming from people of color, um, women, mm -hmm. um, because there are so many initiatives in the ad industry currently. Um, and if you look at history, they've done the same damn thing through the years. Um, we want more black people. We want more black people. Why aren't there more black people? Why weren't there more women of color? Why aren't there more women? Why are there only 3% of creative directors in advertising women? Mm. Why have I, Sunitha Deshpande, worked for creative directors on Maybelline who are straight white men who have never worn makeup in their lives? Why haven't they hired a woman for that job? Um, it is still a very toxic white male environment and it needs to change. I, I don't know how it will change. The only change I did see was when I worked at Translation, which is Jay-Z's ad agency. Mm -hmm. um, that was, uh, and Jay-Z, Steve Stout. Steve Stout um, used to be at Interscope Records. That was the only time as a woman of color that I have to say that I really saw my bosses want to see me do, do really, really well. In fact, Steve saw me present my scripts for Bud Light and he said Sunitha is going to go to St. Louis to present um, when we were pitching them and we won. We won a $200 million account on the same day as a Christmas party, so it was the best Christmas party ever. But those were the times um, I really felt as a woman and as a woman of color, particularly my creative director at the time, Howard Jordan, um, black man, he, he really, I felt was looking out for me. My um, boss, Seth Jacobs, Jewish guy, um, also I felt really looked out for me at translation, but those were the times that, cause I knew, I knew coming into the ad industry, I always had that, you know, especially I, I felt for myself, I was like, is it in my head? Do I feel like, is it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Um, did I say something wrong? Did I have a, a nasty look on my face? Did I, you question yourself a lot of the times. Uh, I, I'm Indian. Um, I can never speak what it's like to be a, a, a person of color who is black or Hispanic. Um, I can only speak for myself. Um, but a lot of times I do feel that sometimes Indians are not counted as people of color because socioeconomically, I feel Indians, I mean, they are some of the U.S. census wise, the highest grades, the highest, you know, the most making the most money. Um, so a lot of times I don't feel that people realize what I have gone through, um, the microaggressions, the racial microaggressions, the mm -hmm. jokes about Indian culture that would never be made to a black person. Or if they were, I wasn't in the room when it happened. Um, I had uh, people once watch pornography in front of me. And these were all when I was so what? young and in the industry. Oh yeah. That I, 
didn't know. And like, again, this is, thank God, that's the worst that ever happened to me. And I was never assaulted or anything. But I remember when that happened to me, because it was an advertising meeting. I had written a commercial. We had sold it. We had gone on a shoot somewhere and it was all guys. And I walked in the room and they were all showing this pornography and laughing about it. And and I realized I didn't, you know, that's the thing. You don't realize it in the moment, the shock value, right? And then I had my boyfriend at the time who we ended up like breaking up, but he, the, the boyfriend of eight years, we had um, been dating for a while then. And I came back to my hotel room and I called him and I said, you know, something really strange happened earlier today. And the minute I started telling him about what had happened, I started bawling. And uh, he was so upset. He was like, I can't believe this. You should report that. But I, you store, it's weird how human trauma works. You store it. I mean, I stored it in my body. And then when I talked about it later, that's when I just started. I was devastated. I was so scared. I was scared someone was going to hurt me. I was scared someone was going to insult me. I mean, it's fear, right? So yes. a lot, I mean, a lot of people won't believe most women's stories in advertising. A lot of people will believe most people of color stories in advertising. And most recently during the whole Black Lives Matter, um, you know, the hashtag going up, people in the ad industry were all supporting Black Lives Matter. And somebody wrote something very smart, which was, they said, to all the ad agencies that support Black Lives Matter, please show us a picture of your C-suite individuals. You know, because it's obviously all the people in the C-suite yeah. are not Black. <laughs> and so... It was just calling out the hypocrisy of that. Because again, throughout the years, if you look, I mean, I'm talking in back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, there were all these initiatives to get more people of color in the industry, get more um, women in higher position roles, not, you know, account girls, but like creative directors, directors. Yes. There were all these initiatives, but there have been so many ways, microaggressions and aggression aggressions, major aggressions, to make people feel like they don't belong and to leave um, because they don't feel like they fit in or be, you know, I, I mean, my, my friends of color who have left the industry have had all sorts of stories they've told me. And if you complain, right, like if you're the only black guy at the agency, or if you're the only Indian woman at the agency and you say, Hey, this isn't right. Don't say this, or this makes me feel this way. Or, you know, one girl would say my name. She would like say Sunita, but she would be like, she would say it like, with like a heavy, like, I don't know, she'd be like, Sumi ta 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 Like, it was just so obnoxious. That's, it's, and it's, that I sounds like, like it's being spat out. Yeah, it was weird. She'd be like, Sumi ta ta Like, it was just weird. And I was like, you know, my name is Sunita, you can say it. But suddenly I became the problem person because I was asking someone to pronounce my name properly. Um, so you are, I can understand, and another of my friends, she was sexually assaulted. I can understand and respect why she hasn't come out and said anything, because if she does, it's a very good way for her to never get hired again. I mean, there's no way you can prove these things. So yeah. she got assaulted. There, she was at an advertising party. She was one of the last people there, and it was at a bar, and this guy assaulted her. And he was one of the top, you know, partners. And there is, and she's a very sweet girl. And she's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to not have a job again. And you know what? I can completely understand why she doesn't want to have a job again. So I mean, why she doesn't have a job again, like dealing with that kind of, you know, issue in a, 
Yes. She doesn't want to have to deal with that issue, you know? So she was just like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's still one of the most toxic uh, environments. And it's, and it's because also people don't speak up because they want to keep their jobs, right? So um, they, it does create a very big sheep-like mentality. And if you uh, are not one of the bros, you know, yeah. you're going you're gonna to be kind of pushed out. So it's, yeah. it's better to deal with the devil that you know, because then at least the measure of engagement is understood. Yeah. Versus a far yeah. more dangerous um, a path not taken. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just the guys too. It's a lot of, and I mean, this was of course with the whole Trump thing as well. A lot of white women I've had to deal with have been, I mean, very backstabby and have there been amazing ones? Oh my God. One of my mentors is a white woman. She's amazing. She's amazing. Love her. She has helped me so much, but you know, I, I can't just blame the men. I mean, there's women who have seen stuff happen and not report it and, yes. you know, uh, or, or say someone else's pro the problem. And suddenly that person in a way that cannot be documented, that's another important thing, mm. is uh, ousted. And uh, if anyone else is, you know, wants uh, advice, I would say particularly for junior copywriters, junior creatives, junior art directors, if something has happened to you, make sure you absolutely document it. And then also make sure you remember this number one truth I wish I had remembered and knew HR is not there to protect you. HR is there and created to protect the company. Mm -hmm. So be very careful who you talk to in HR. Do not trust that they have your goals and end benefits in mind. They don't. They are hired there and paid money to protect the company and the ad agency. And that is why so many male creative directors who have assaulted women have gotten away with so much because HR has protected them. Hmm. <laughs> Thank God we're drinking. Give me a second. I know, right? <laughs> Um, but I, it's really important, particularly for juniors, to know that because I did not know that as a junior. And you're really sticking your neck out there when you complain. You really have to have every single little thing documented. And if you don't, people are going to talk and it's going to be, you know, you're going to get blacklisted and people are going to put you on a blacklist. And then suddenly you're going to have a hard time getting a job and you won't know why. So uh, really be careful if you decide to go to HR because they're not looking out for you. They absolutely are not there. It's funny the, the amount of people I've had tell that to me. Um, it's, it's true. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Uh, because if they weren't there to protect the company, their, their job is functionally yeah. useless. But it's funny because one of my earlier, um, actually the first person I interviewed for this uh, podcast was Hillary Cutter from Cutter Productions. I don't know if you've ever worked with them. No, before. no, no. No, you, I, you, you, and, you and Hillary, I think, I feel like would get along great. Um, but I asked her, the question I asked you earlier is like, what would be your advice uh, to someone starting off? And her response was, uh, it's okay to not like people. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get mistreated uh, as a young person. And especially yeah. if you're a young woman yeah in this world yeah um and you're going to th and you're going to put it on yourself because you're you know you're a kid that's what you do mm -hmm. and you know especially for you know women who we expect so much out of that otherwise men don't take into account for themselves um 
because how can we expect, you know, it's enough that we expect people to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. By the time they're 18, their frontal <laughs> lobe hasn't even right. formed fully yet. Um, and then to throw them into a professional situation where, you know, lots of mess up thing is going to happen and they are expected to just hold the silence and just internalize it and say, that's not the environment. That's me. Mm-hmm. It's not the environment. That's me. Yep. I'm sorry you went through that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And wow, what a lucky wife you have. Um, but yeah. I mean, you say that, but if you saw the state of this living room right now, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be jumping onto a video game later and she has to hear me scream at a television with my friends. So that being said, I'm making a lovely watermelon and feta cheese salad tonight. But um, but thank you. I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. Um, Sunita, is there Jeremy. anything I haven't covered? Um, Let me see here. No, you've pretty much covered it all. I do really like what your friend Hillary will say. If there are any female creatives listening to this, mm-hmm. I would definitely say if you are thinking about starting your own ad agency, why the fuck not start it right now? Mm-hmm. Um, fail at it. Get back up. You're young. Fail at it again. Get back up. You're young. Fail at it again. Start your own ad agency. If this is really what your dream is, it will work. It will work out for you. Things will happen for you. Mm-hmm. Always have high standards for yourself. And look, if you have an event in the far future, because we can't go to bars and stuff right now, though New York is in phase two now, mm-hmm. and there are people drinking um, and you don't want to you know, drink, just tip the bartender extra and just tell the bartender, him or her, hey, you know what? Um, this is a work event. Can you just give me some something that looks like a vodka soda? Just give me some soda and we'll be cool because um, a lot of times, and again, like my friend, right? People get drunk at parties and then when you're not looking, someone is going to possibly try something. I wouldn't be surprised. There were a couple times that I wouldn't have been surprised if someone had slipped something in my drink because of the way I suddenly like was out of control. It was Mm -hmm. just too fast. So I would be very careful as a female. If you want to go have fun and hook up with guys, don't do it. I wouldn't suggest doing it at all in the advertising industry and where don't shit where you eat. I would definitely, if you want to go out and have fun, go have fun, go have your hookups, go have a good time, but Hmm. do it outside. Do it outside of the ad industry because again, for me and our society, unfortunately, guys can go out and have lots of fun times with lots of girls in advertising and be the man. And if you do, it can really tarnish and hurt your reputation. It is not fair. And it will also possibly hurt you getting other jobs. So um, I would definitely say like to just like keep it cool. Don't drink too much at the the Christmas parties and stuff. Don't make, you know, don't, don't make a mess there um, because it can, it's, it, it's your career. You know, if this, you want this to be your career, treat it in a professional way and go outside, go to a concert, go have fun with your friends and then go meet guys out that way, you know, like have a great time that way, but really just watch out for yourself because your mom and dad are not there to watch out for you. You're going to have to like really watch out for yourself, you know, take care of yourself first, take care of your mental health. And if you're afraid and you hate your place and you're like, I got to get out of here, girl, sometimes you got to quit, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. just save up your money and take care of yourself. Don't put yourself through something traumatic if it's not working for you. You know, don't be afraid to walk away because those companies need you. And there were so many times I should have walked away and I didn't because I wanted to be that good Indian student who always gets the straight A's and is the good Indian daughter and is being trained to like always power through it. You know what? It's okay to quit. If you've been there a few years and they're treating you like dirt, quit. And then they'll realize what they're missing. They really will. 
So don't get abused by your company. What's up next for you? Oh, um, I'm working on several um, screenplays right now. I have a one, um, like I have a, a short film that's a horror film and is about, um, it's about lesbian issues uh, with the Indian witch. It's going to be amazing. Um, witch trials still happen in India, so it kind of uh, talks about that. It's all about misogyny and the patriarchy and how women are treated if they don't get married in small Indian villages. So there's that. And um, then I'm also working on hopefully this podcast that I talked about with you earlier about women of color and um, people of color and women in the advertising world, because it is still very much a boys club. And I want to change that. I really would love to change that. You're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. There are lots of other people out there for that. And I'll make sure to put them all in touch with you. Oh, please. Yes. Thank you. Sunita. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're so welcome. I hope this helped. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm S-U-N-I-T-A-W-R-I-T-E-R.com. You can reach to me there and I'll, I'll be happy to answer any questions or help you out. Thanks, Sunita. For more, check out www.sunitaactress.com. And for more links of what we discussed here, head over to www.drinkingwithcreatives.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and download on whatever is your most favorite listening platform. I hope you enjoy the show, and I'll see you next time.